You're listening to the Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture. Coming to you from the third format, everyone's favorite buzzsaw. I realized after we decided to read, I say decided, I said, uh, let's just do chapter one. I've only read the intro. I went back and I realized the intro was chapter one, but I was still okay with my decision. Well, yes, because I only prepared the intro for today. Same. Like I went and looked, I was like, oh, the intro is chapter one. I've read it all. But it was good because this week I started... um, really not necessarily like I'm not teaching my lessons and classes that I will be at Mount Pisgah but um I did I had like a meet the teacher kind of thing and I'm going to a curriculum night tonight and taught some trial lessons so yeah it was actually really exciting and because I thought I would be teaching just students through the school but I had like a faculty member come and do a lesson with me which was kind of neat and then I found out Actually, anybody from the community can come, so I kind of, like, I'm interested to see who all I'll end up teaching through that, right? Awesome. I was going to ask you to give us, you know, give the Vocal Fam an update on your teaching endeavors. Yeah, I mean, it's been great. So I've taught some piano, which never expected to be doing, but I'm doing, and it's it's going fine because I'm only really teaching beginners and, like, what did Dana call it? Correlating careers. Yes, exactly. And then I'm really excited to start teaching at Mount Pisgah. Both of the groups, you know, they had originally been show choir groups, but now they're a cappella groups, which is something I'm much more familiar with and comfortable with. And I think it, it suits what they have there a lot better. It, they're very it small. Seemed to, it seemed to suit your numbers. Yeah, better. like it's a very small group of only girls, which just it seemed like that would work better and so yeah. i'm excited about that like i actually legitimately started getting excited because i started thinking about like all the things i could take them to which of course means i have to like join all these like organizations like i'm gonna have to actually become a nats member which i needed to do anyway but <laughs> right i know i know somebody's been trying to convince me of this for a while but i'm I, huh. i'll actually <laughs> who, is, who is that who is that person was that me or Alan Henderson? Which one? Um, I don't really know. Well, it's I hard mean... to say. But yeah, so I'll have to join that so I can like take people to competitions. I'll have to join like GMEA, I guess, so that I could like yeah. take the little ensemble group to like solo yeah. an ensemble and some stuff like that. Yeah. So it's weird. Welcome to professional life, Sarah. Yeah. That's another reason it's a relief that Jamie's starting his job because I can now afford to join these organizations. Because before I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, this this would be nice, wouldn't it? But I also would like to, you know, stay in my apartment, <laughs> buy groceries. Yeah. So. Well, no, it's it's good. So we got some good news that, that Sarah's husband's going to be starting his work soon. Yes. Yay. Big fancy job. Yeah. And uh, and Sarah's teaching and doing all this. Damn, it's weird. It's weird. Doing some applications already, working on some applications yes, for some yes, uh, trying to fi- things. <laughs> trying to figure out, like, how I can best utilize all the music I know so that I don't have to learn new music. <laughs> but I'm going to have to you learn know, new music. Like, certain competitions you, have certain requirements. Well, I realized, because at first I was like, oh, you know, things need to be after 1950. 
best I've got that 20th century music, except everything I did on my recitals from like 1930 or 1943. And I was just kind of yep. like, yeah, that seems right. That's, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> that's about how this year is going at this point. And I say year, I mean, since like June, yeah. June on has been kind of a mess. Post end game. Yeah. Post post voice foundation. Oh gosh, have I moved into what is this? What what is, what phase is the Marvel universe in right now? What are we? Mo- phase four. You've entered Sarah phase. I don't four. like it as much. I'm ready to move on to phase five. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I'm pretty over phase four. <laughs> I must be <laughs> more synced up with the Marvel universe than I realized. <laughs> Uh, I think I think I've entered phase seven. Phase seven? How's it going? Is it better than phase four? It's fine. Oh, that's, that's good. oh yeah, phase four was awful. Ah, delightful, delightful. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, for all of those out there who are young listeners, meaning like you know your young professionals like Sarah, mm. you all know that it's hustle. It's hustle season for all of you. It's audition season. It's application season. It's so overwhelming. It's grad school may be starting or and for all of us in the academy it is i think it's syllabus writing season for one thing oh i have to do that i have to write a syllabus i've never done that before it's a weird thing writing it probably for your students is a little bit different than what you've seen from a hundred percent i'm not saying that i'm not gonna like closely mimic the syllabus syllabi that i received in like college and stuff mostly because i've never written a syllabus before i actually think syllabuses is syllabuses miriam webster correct i i i i think there's some discrepancy on that but i can tell you one thing about that is that the word the plural of curriculum is curriculum that seems right like like fish or deer yeah because there is no such word as curricula even though people say that, that a lot Interesting. that is one of my biggest pet peeves so all of you, you out know. there in the academy please don't tell perna about your curricula <laughs> i'll just avoid it by saying something like the myriad of oh poop that still doesn't work Oh, well, you know what I mean. You all know what I mean. No, it's exciting. It's an exciting season. You know, I think um, probably I was thinking about this. I haven't talked to you about this, but I Mm -hmm. I think I feel like this should be season three, episode one. Is this? Is it? I guess it is in a sense because we're talking about beginning of school, which... Beginning the plong. Yeah, that's kind of a relief. I I find summer to be a little too aimless. Like, I need the structure that school provides almost. That's what I realized over the past... Two months, I guess. But I just think, you know, I think it's it's August. We're recording here on the 15th. This will go up on the 16th. I feel like... This is this is season three, episode one, isn't it? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, and we're starting we're starting the plomp. That's the thing. And we do need to restart, just so you know, um, and Vocal Fam, you know, we are going to be reaching out to some more guests. Yes. So don't think guest episodes are done. No, they're never done. They're not. It's not like Sarah and I are never going to have any guests on ever again. No, but I've really enjoyed kind of all of the guests that we've had over the summer. That was that was good. I mean, of course, most of them were recorded in like two days, but still. Yeah, it's it's um, it's been wow. It's been it's been a summer. It really has. Like, thank goodness we did record all of those, right? Oh, Voice Foundation. Yeah, like thank goodness we recorded all those episodes. This. Yeah, I'll just just say one more shout out, just to say thank you to everybody we have all had on over the summer. Yes. Uh, Josh Glasner, Bodo Moss, 
Amelia Rawlings, Ginevra Williams, Laurie Sonnenberg. Uh, who am I forgetting about? Kath- uh, Do Dana we, did Varga, you already say Kathy Price? Kathy Price, Jonathan Price, Kate Fraser Neely. It's been it's been a summer of guest episodes. It really has. I feel like we should have and like a quippy way to say that. I don't have it. This is where we need Michael. Michael, if oh, you're out yeah. there. Yeah, he would he would know how to brand right? very quickly. Wherever you are, Michael. Help. When you're when you're listening to this, tweet us out a uh, mm, don't tweet me. I don't get on Twitter. Yeah, don't don't tweet us. Vocal Fry doesn't Message pay attention us. to their own Twitter. I really don't. Just send or post it on the the episode link. Like I I still uh, have a Twitter from like way back when, but I basically only use it if I hear something happened on Twitter and I wanna like go see it. It's yeah, handy for that. It's the yeah. only reason I haven't deleted it. Well, I'm definitely in syllabus preparation season and writing season oh an update just for the vocal fam um the uh amendment going back to our laryngeal manipulation yes 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 uh which of course is a protocol that you're still on yay um our amendment for the follow-up study is approved okay good um, so follow up study because for the vocal fam, if you were not listening through our voice foundation and episodes and, and all that jazz, as they say, all that, <sighs> we did a study last year on self laryngeal manipulation where we found that when combined with vocalizing self laryngeal manipulation led to a statistically, statistically significant increase in sound pressure level. And so we are rehashing our study we are going to do three days this year of testing. That'll be so much We're gonna easier. We're going to do a vocalization day, same as we did last year, um, just as a sort of a, that being our control. Mm-hmm. And then we will repeat the day of doing laryngeal manipulation and then vocalization mm-hmm. as the second day. But then we were also going to, as the third day, do a day of vocalization and then laryngeal manipulation. So we were curious, like, did the order matter? And now you have a way to find out. And will even what we did before, will we see the same statistical increase in sound pressure? Level? Oh, that's, that's, yeah. Is it repeatable? That's the first yeah. and foremost question. That's a, that is a good point. I had not thought about that, but. That's the real, that's the real hypothesis. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and aren't you changing where it doesn't matter what time of day people come? Yeah, um, we're not going to try to get them all in early in the morning this time. We're just going to take them where their schedules will allow. Well, as far as, um, you know, we talk about we're going to read the plump, I feel like he'd be a fan of that. How, I do how too. very macro I d- of you. <laughs> I know, right? Sarah! <laughs> really living okay, on the so edge. Let's give, let's give the vocal fam some background and tell them why in the world two singing teachers are even considering yeah. this book. Remind me why we're reading this book. <laughs> Because anytime I tell someone, like, yeah, I'm going to read this book, and they're just like, but, but why? And I'm like, well, it's a valid question. Okay, let's let's give the vocal fam who are maybe longtime listeners or not, but who know voice pedagogy, some just some background stuff. Most of when voice teachers started getting into voice science. Most of them, when they wanted to know things about what was going on with the voice, they sought out 
scientists from either physics in the realm of acoustics mm-hmm. or speech scientists, most of whom came basically from the field of physics. So we're basically talking about people who came from the acoustics side of the coin. And I'm talking about lineage that sort of would date back, you know, if we're going backwards from where we are now. Mm -hmm. So going backwards from Ken Bozeman and Scott McCoy, going back to people like Johann Sundberg and Ingo Tietze and Donald Miller. Mm -hmm. And then, but now Ingo and, and, and Johann were really scientists yeah. Don is also a scientist, but who was also really a voice teacher. Um, keeping working our way back, we end up with a singing teacher generation of Burton Coffin, Ralph Appleman, and William Vinard. Three names that I would imagine the vocal fam is not completely unfamiliar yeah. with. Uh, as they all wrote important early voice ped texts. Um, when those folks wanted to know more about the specifics of the singing voice, they went to speech scientists. Vinard ended up at a lab in Groningen in the Netherlands that is now being run by Harm Schutte, uh, who was Don Miller's mentor. Wow. Um, Coffin ended up in the lab of, of Gunnar Font. Um, and Font, of course, trained Ingo Tietze and Johann Sundberg. And... Martin Rottenberg, for that matter, who runs Glottal Enterprises. So anyway, there's some background into just sort of some lineage. And of course, if you keep going back past font and all that kind of thing, you end up back to physicists like Helmholtz, late 19th century physicist, who in the late 19th century was talking about the ringing quality of men's operatic voices around 2800 hertz. We've come full circle, haven't we? (laughs) And there we are, folks. There's your singer's format described in the late 19th century. So for all of you who think the singer's format was discovered by Johann Sundberg... Not so much. He, he wrote about it the first time in those terms and coined the term singer's format cluster. But Helmholtz was describing that in the 19th Way century. Way back when. Okay. Now, there's some background. Now, here's the thing that, that's interesting about that. In communication sciences, sort of the speech scientists are only one, or the acousticians, are only one side of the coin. Mm-hmm. On the other side of the same picture, those people who are into acoustics are into describing the physical phenomenon that are happening. So whether that was the sudden pressure change when the vocal folds close... Mm. that's a physical phenomenon that then sends air molecules into excitation. And when they reciprocate their excitation, we start to get a fundamental frequency Yeah, because, because the particles are bouncing around at a certain rate. And so we call that frequency. Um, and that's an observable physical phenomenon. That's what we mean by physical phenomenon. That's what physics investigates. On the flip side of that, Mm -hmm. 
there were also, well, actually, on the same side, there are audiologists who are looking at what the ear does, the physical things and processes that the ear goes through Mm -hmm. by being excited by sound pressure. Yeah. Then sending the bones of the ear into motion, eventually sending the fluid of the ear into motion. All of these are physical actions that an audiologist would look at. So all of these are things that have been studied. On the flip side of all this is psychoacoustics. Yep. Yep. (laughs) It is. I'm not even sure it's the flip side. I mean, is it a different coin? No, it's the flip side. You know what it's sort of like to give a pop culture reference? If you think 90s movies, (laughs) it's sort of like we had movies in the 90s that were like Independence Day. Yeah. And and that were like The Rock. Yeah. And that were like, uh, you know, Armageddon and these kind of things. And on the flip side of 90s movies, we also had the big Lebowski. I have not seen that, but I am currently watching. Oh, is what a girl once nineties or early two thousands. That might be early two thousands. You have like, I I think of nineties movies as like the rom-coms, all the like Meg Ryan stuff. Sure. (laughs) That's my, that's my familiarity with nineties movies. That and Lion King. Cause well, you okay, know, sure. Childhood. But anyway, I was just trying to compare more sort oh, of yeah. things that were all sort of blockbustery and alieny and whatever with sort of ridiculous yeah, thought-provoking comedy that was kind of dark and kind of not and Yeah, or back with the coin, maybe it's like a quarter versus a dime. Maybe. Psychoacoustics might be a dime. That's also or a possible. Half dollar. Half dollars are vaguely r- ridiculous. There's an interesting. So that brings us, you know, n- and now in more recent years, just to give credit where credit is due, yes. Dr. Ian Howell at the New England Conservatory has been trying to bring voice psychoacoustics and perception into the realm of voice teaching. So when you think about voice teaching, most of our talk about acoustics, as we've talked about many times on Vocal Front, many, 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 has been about what, Sarah? What two words do we toss around all the time when it comes to voice acoustics? Oh, like roughness? Auditory roughness? No, now we're getting into perception. Oh. I mean, go backwards. Go backwards. Oh, formats? Yes. The magical world of formats. Oh, and harmonics. So most of you, if you came from the world of acoustics, you've heard the terms formants and harmonics and things like fundamental frequency, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But more recently, thanks to Dr. Howell, we've been trying to move into this world more of singing voice perception. So voice acoustics has been trying to describe for us physical actions articulation of the vocal tract and how that affects formant frequencies or resonances of the vocal tract as we now call them yeah. uh, things of this nature 
But psychoacoustics is more, from a bass level, interested in, say, what the lowest vocal tract resonance sounds like and how the brain perceives, or I should say or, how the brain perceives something like auditory roughness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So... Rainer Plomp was a 20th century psychoacoustician. Yep. <laughs> this book that Sarah and I are attempting to work our way through was written in 2002, I believe. Okay, that's newer sort of, than I thought. Sort of, I think it's his last big writing. Yeah, 2002. Yeah. That's nice. Get, um, get his last he, thoughts on it. Yeah. Well, and I think he was in a good position because in this introduction, as, as uh, Ian and I were talking this morning, he's sort of in a good position to make some rather provocative big picture statements. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I did wonder, because I mean, I don't know a bunch of background on the book, sort of what the reception was at the time. Yes. So this first chapter, he basically sort of puts out an argument that hearing research has largely been approached on a micro level Mm -hmm. and that to really investigate sound perception, one needs to investigate it on a more macro level. Yes that we have sterilized kind of the research. Um, so here's one good place to start, because I don't really have a... We don't need to go through this in order. Yeah, I know. It hit me afterwards. I was like, is this like a book club? Should I have made like notes or something? <laughs> I did make notes, actually. You did? Oh, you're a step ahead of me. <laughs> but I thought we'd start near the end. All right, good. That's what I read last. On page 10. All right where he's trying to sort of bring the chapter home with these ideas of looking at things microscopically or macroscopically. And what he says in terms of sound perception is that what most people have been looking at has been the microscopic view of looking at hearing and perception from a process called audition Mm -hmm. rather than the macroscopic study of cognition, which are two terms we need to define here in a second. Yes, I'm trying to find his definition of it. Yeah, we'll go back to those. But I think what he says, um, he actually quotes... Oh, there we are. Here at the end of the chapter. Uh, he quotes a mid-century uh, physicist, Wolfgang Metzger. And uh, he's translating Metzger from German. Yeah. But talking about this idea of hearing being intelligent, an intelligent process. And in this quote, 
he basically brings the argument that that perception of sound whether that's a sung sound, a musical sound, a spoken sound, mm-hmm. has been taken out of the context of everyday life yeah. and put in place of the laboratory of single tone hearing, which will get us back to cognition and audition in a which second. Which I found. Good. We'll go, we'll go there next. But let me read this quote. Because he's comparing the ear in a way to the way an eye can picture different things Mm -hmm. but your eyes basically focus on a thing whereas the ear is a really remarkable instrument so he says and i quote this is from this is this is metzger translated to english i guess by plomp i guess i'm plomp the intelligent ear page 10 the achievements of the ear are indeed fabulous while i am writing my elder son rattles the fire rake on the stove the infant babbles contentedly in his baby carriage the church clock strikes the hour a car stops in front of the house next door one of the girls is practicing the piano at the front door her mother converses with a messenger and i can also hear the fine scraping of the point of the pencil in my hand moving on the paper in the vibrations of air striking my ear all these sounds are superimposed into a single extremely complex stream of pressure waves without doubt the achievements of the ear are greater than those of the eye why do the psychologists particularly the germans stick so stubbornly to vision research we'll leave that last bit for you to discuss amongst yourselves vocal fam but the point is the human ear is remarkable. Now let's compare this to singing, shall we, for a second, All to right. bring our vocal fam into singing. Think about this. If you're hearing a singer sing with orchestra, how many instruments are you hearing at once? I mean, dozens, potentially. How many overtones of the singing voice are you hearing? A lot. I mean, depending on the frequency. Well, that's true. That's true. But still, I mean, all in all, you are listening to very complex sounds, and just you manage to combine them all in your ear, and and you can hear them. And if you want, I mean, it takes training. I mean, that's what we do in in school is we train to be able to, you know, maybe focus in on one. But the fact that you can take it all in, and it's not just, I don't know, too much. Like that is pretty amazing. Now, imagine if while that you were hearing that, you also were hearing the crinkling of a candy wrapper. Uh, imagine. I think we've, most of us have lived it. And yet, your ear was still hearing the same sound pressure waves... And it was still just your ear and your stapes and your cochlea and all the processes of the ear. And yet your hearing is so quote unquote intelligent that you can still decipher all those different things and the candy wrapper. That's true. Well, and it's funny you say intelligent. That's like we've talked before about how the sound of people eating can drive me nuts. And the way I describe it is like... Mesophonia. Yeah, but that like... Before you, all I can describe it as is tuning into it. Uh, Until you notice it, 
you know, it could have been going on for like half an hour, but as soon as like some part of your brain or something like picks up on it and you start registering it, it's just there. It's a part of what you're hearing and you cannot make it go away. And yeah, go ahead. Oh, just the, the, that too. Like I hadn't thought about it, that that's like a very kind of like intelligent thing. Like, why aren't you just hearing it the whole time? Like, yeah. Right. What, what makes you all of a sudden like clue into this as like a, this is a part of my soundscape and you're not getting rid of me thing. How has my wife tuned out my jokes after all these years? <laughs> There's hope for all my of voice us. <laughs> has not gotten, my voice is not less decibels. Yeah, that seems right. <laughs> it's okay. Jamie would say uh, the same thing about me. Like, I'll sit there and have a whole conversation at him, and then later be like, yeah, you know, when I said this thing, I was mm, no, I don't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So, Sarah, give us, we've tossed around these two terms. Give us the two definitions of audition and cognition. He uses audition, and this is quoting him, to refer to the activities of what is traditionally considered as the hearing organ proper, whereas cognition will refer to the interpretation of the output of these activities. And then he says, he goes on to say that the difference between audition and cognition has also been expressed in the terms bottom-up and top-down. Um, he keeps going if you want. No, that was, that was, that was what I, that was good. Cool. That was good. So audition is again, more about what the ear is doing. The excitement of the bones of the ear, the tympanic membrane, the fluid dynamics of the ear, which apparently according to most people, we don't know much about. Things we can physically Um, kind of measure and observe. Yes. Literally, literally which is what most of our speech science has done for the singing voice. Yes. Things that we can measure, the movement of the tongue, the movement of the jaw. Even some of these things have been very difficult to measure. But we can. But we've made attempts at doing it. Yeah, and I mean, I, honestly, I think he says this too in the book. Like, you can't blame people for measuring and wanting to study what is measurable, like something that is quantifiable. Yeah. Like, yeah. nothing wrong with it. It's just all we've done. We've kind of missed this other segment. Yeah, and he basically presents it as an argument that that we've really missed gestalt. Yes. When it comes to hearing science, that we've missed... Uh, he He takes great pains to sort of describe the fact that We've taken hearing science and perception out of the real world and only put it in the laboratory. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and let's not be, we would be remiss to say that some of our voice research has not done that. Not even that much, yeah. I mean, that's something we've discussed a lot, I think, this past year especially. Yeah, well, and not only that, but even think of our work on laryngeal manipulation. Mm-hmm. Really, what we should be doing is probably taking measurements of someone before a show, at intermission, and after a show, having done it to themselves or not. That's true. I mean, that would be the ideal thing, but kind of as he says there, and as we've said before, like it's just really hard to get someone to be willing to do that and to be able to take those measurements. And it might be, yeah. Well, it's difficult to keep your controls. That too. That too. That's the thing. 
because in any situation in the real world with singers there's so much else the first con- well but the let's not forget that the first concern is giving a good performance that too yeah you know and and that is paramount yeah just like with with people who have brought up concerns with the methodology of looking at laryngeal manipulation okay the concern in that lit review was that one one of the concerns in the lit review that sort of dissed most of the laryngeal manipulation research was that the therapist's interventions were all different that's because the therapists were just trying to make people better that's true. They're, they're not concerned with, well, is this the exact thing that everybody does every time? They're not concerned with repeating, like us, the same video every single time. True. That's true. We're just, we're, we're controlling it by showing them the same video. That's thing, and they're, you know, looking like, because you might have somebody who walks in and is like, no, I can't do the X thing that maybe we asked them to do. And so, rather than push it, a therapist might be like, okay, well, here's another task you can do that's similar well even more so the therapist is doing the treatment themselves well that too we can't do that and also it's unrealistic to expect like you know singers can't go out and get a therapist to do that on a regular basis not they really can't most of us cannot afford no what a dream though right yeah. I could afford it. There's a lot of things I'd have like, you know, I'd have somebody come and do, I'd get, I'd get massages basically. I think that's what I'm trying to say. I wish, I wish I lived a life where I could like on a regular basis have somebody like beat the tension out of me. What yes. a life that must be. Yes, indeed. You know, going back to where you were on page six, yes. I think there's something interesting in the beginning of that section. Uh, and I wrote down a little formula that perception equals sensation and its interpretation. Um, I, I mean, he doesn't directly say that, but he says it but in a sentence, but I wrote down, I wrote down a little formula yeah. that says that perception, the perception process is sensation of the stimulus, yes. but also its interpretation. And that also speaks to the differences of audition and cognition. Yes. Well, and then he, it's like he goes on to say later that, you know, kind of the whole point of, you know, what research has been done towards these physical processes is not useless because it's necessary, but that without the study of, um, what was it, the interpretation, you just don't have the full process. You need them both to fully understand how hearing works and he makes an interesting point following that up and this made me think of something else with singing Mm -hmm. i want to compare this to singing where he talks about the role of cognition um sort of comparing it to listening to speech in your own language versus the speech in a language you don't speak true he said that the auditory process the audition process is the same the ear is absorbing the sound the same way it's no different but that because of vocabulary, familiarity with linguistics and, and voice intonation, if you speak the other language, your cognition, if I hear someone speak Chinese, I, I'm unable to, to have the same cognitive experience. Yeah, you can't even separate 
out words. It's like, even though I studied French for a while and could like say words separately because I'm not familiar enough with the language and hearing it, when I was in France and people would speak French, even though I could hear it and I knew there were words, I couldn't tell where each word stopped and began because I, you're not familiar enough with, with the language, with the intonation. And, you know, so here's my comparison to music. I think there's a comparison to singing, actually. Okay. I think there's a direct comparison to singing. How many times have lay listeners who are not trained singers yeah. walked up to a singer and once they found out they were an quote-unquote opera. opera singer, either ask them, one, do they like Andrea Bocelli, <laughs> or two, do they love Phantom of the Opera? gosh yeah am i right i mean yes that's just oh okay. i love phantom of the opera and you're like yeah yeah now, okay to a trained singing listener the differences between franco corelli singing nessun dorma and and andrea bocelli singing nessun dorma are striking yes but to a lay listener who does not have the same cognitive processes and training and background at listening to things like timbre. That's true. That they, they may sound identical. Yes, because while there are similarities, it's certainly closer to opera than, you know, the radio. Well, let me take it one step further. They might be able to differentiate Franco Corelli singing Nessun Dorma to Aretha Franklin singing Nessun Dorma. Yeah. Or maybe even Michael Bolton singing Nessun Dorma. Yeah. My concern, and here's where I'll tie this back for our singing teachers in the audience. My concern is that I want my singing teachers in ped classes to not only be able to hear the difference between Franco Corelli and Andrea Bocelli singing a high B at the end of Nessun Dorma. Yes. But I want, to te- I want them to be able to tell me what is different about it in now some psychoacoustics terms of timbre. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that's the reason... Because it's completely dis- it's completely possible. Yes, it is something we could do. Yeah, back on also just the like kind of intelligent listening and really the same thing you're saying. It's funny I had said to people before that it's funny how like when you first start undergrad, when you hear like mm-hmm. 20th and 21st century music, I'm telling you, ev- not every, most college freshmen are like, this is terrible. I can't stand this. I mean, there's plenty of listeners that if they were to hear the Webern Passacaglia, they would but be I'm like, not even, I'm, huh? I'm not even talking that. I'm talking like, even as we've moved to like, you know, there's so much music that, that's like Debussy or Ricky and Gordon or, I'm trying, I've just lost my train of thought. But like, where it's a closer to maybe a neo-romantic movement where when you're younger, ah. when you first start listening, you can't tell the difference. It just sounds wrong. Yes. But, I realized yes. that like my, by my junior year, I actually really enjoyed a lot of that music. And yes. I wonder if it's because as opposed to just sounding like noise or uh, when you're talking about the two languages, a language that you don't know and is just sounds, all of a sudden your brain's able to separate it out into these 
you know, melodic ideas and you know the harmonies. And so it's just, it is interesting how that works with speech, with music, just, it's sort of just your ear, have, your ear and your brain having to learn the language. I'm putting that in quotes. Y'all can't see that, though. I liked it. Thank you. Thank it. you. Um, you know, one of the other things that I think is really comparable to voice teaching and maybe voice pedagogy mm-hmm. is when he... So the first point he sort of makes is arguing against the dominance of sinusoidal tones yes. meaning so think of he- think of a hearing test folks think of a hearing test you went in to test your hearing and you hear those little tones in your ear on one side or the other and you raise your hand if you hear it blah blah yeah. blah 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 that's a very typical controlled example of sinusoidal tone testing okay uh and we know that those things exist in sound um, thanks to, as we have on page two, a reference to what French 19th century French physicist? Is it Fourier? Fourier. Oh, Fourier. Sorry. So fancy. Good old Fourier and his theorem of dividing harmonics. Thank you, Fourier. And there we have it. Maybe we were all ruined in the 19th century. Probably. Um, as he figured out harmonics via math. Between him and Helmholtz. <laughs> And a paper and a pencil. Yeah. Sometimes I... And we look at Voce Vista and think we have it hard. I know, right? Like, I was just thinking... I probably wouldn't have made it back then. I certainly wouldn't. I mean... (laughs) No, you just have to wonder, like, how were they able to just figure that out? Like, I mean, part of it, honestly, is probably that there wasn't that much else to do. Right. Other than, like, you know, not (laughs) die by... They were listening to Wagner operas. Right, exactly. Like, you got four hours there. You have nothing else going uh, on in the evening. No TV. But that really... <laughs> they didn't have a three and a half hour Avengers movie to watch. Exactly. Wait, so they will... Wait, wait. Does that mean if I stop watching TV and movies that I can be smart too? Would it be bad of me to confess to our audience how many times I've now seen Endgame? I'm actually curious, so how many? Five. Five. Whoa. I'm jealous. I'm going to be honest. I'm jealous. I cannot wait to actually purchase the DVD or Blu-ray, whatever I end up getting. Like, I I am excited because I do want to watch it again, but I need to watch it at home for, for my tears. If you've ever thought, man, I wish I could get Dr. Perna a present. Like, that's my lifelong goal is to get Dr. P a gift for all he does for Vocal Fry. If you ever want to, Boss Logic is a poster company, does a lot of graphics. Okay. And they have a wonderful poster of Captain America wielding Milnir that just says, worthy. And that's all you want out of life. Right now, anyway. I get well, it. Oh, speaking of which, pause plomp for a second. Okay. So, you know, you know, one of the things that happens as my as my parents out there who are listening will will relate to, one of the things you start thinking about right at the beginning of the school year is Halloween costumes. Well, yeah. I think about that okay. and I um and not a parent, so So Olivia's is going to be easy this year. That's my daughter, my 7-year-old daughter because she wants to be Captain Marvel. Perfect. So I'm easy. just going to just going to order it. Yeah. No problem. 
And she already has the hair. So that's true. That's true. She's set. So Captain Marvel. Amazing. But Charlie wants to be the 11th doctor. Yay. Now he's already, fortunately we already have the screwdriver. Good. Good. Okay. Um, and the pants are easy. He just wears some black or brown pants. Is he going to wear a fez? So what I need to, so here's the thing, vocal, and the, the shirt is just a white dress. Yeah. Shirt, so that's easy. Hard. We're hoping somewhere at a secondhand store, we can find a tweed jacket that will fit him. Yeah. For the, sport, for the blazer. Okay. Because there was someone on their Etsy shop who had the blazer, but it's already in a size that is way too small for him. Oh, uh, that makes sense. Now, I can order him the bow tie and the suspenders and the fez Yay. as a group package. Yeah. Um, and I don't need, like I said, I don't need the screwdriver. Yeah, see. But if any of the vocal fam out there know of somewhere where I could get a, little tweet a child's like size 14 or 16 blazer uh, that is like the brown coat, Matt Smith's first get up, not the long coat, Matt Smith, doctor, not the seventh season. The little gangly baby giraffe, Matt Smith. Season five and six. Season five and non-Clara. Yeah. Doctor. Eleventh Doctor. So Amy Pond's Doctor. Oh my gosh, Charlie will be perfect as that. It will be so cute. And if anybody happens to know or have a very cheap one they want to sell of the twelfth doctor's <laughs> long black coat with the red <laughs> lining. Yours truly would happily rent that or buy that from them for Halloween. It is really depressing how expensive it is to get, like, Doctor Who costumes. That coat is $300. I know, because I can't remember. It was one Halloween, Jamie and I dressed up as Clara and the 11th Doctor just because those were the ones we bore the most resemblance to. Maybe Jamie could just send him his jacket and Charlie could just wear his jacket that's way too big. Just way too big. Just be like, time travel. Weird, right? Although, my son is huge i believe like holy growth spurt back really now. did i tell you also oh. vocal fam charlie started kickboxing really he's been doing jujitsu for yeah. years but now he started kickboxing it's crazy anyway sorry we're getting way away from plomp because i had a couple more points i wanted to make about this chapter yes um but halloween costumes yay halloween, halloween costumes are up. important i need to figure they out are. a halloween costume love um, halloween I think there's something else that, that can be related to voice research. Okay. And I think we often don't think about voice research from a big picture. We think about like, oh, well, there's this thing that Dr. Tietza said, and so that must be right. Like, for example, like a lot of people a couple years ago made a big deal out of a, a simple journal of singing column that that Ingo had written on high F1 vowels and then being good for belting. Okay. Basically saying that eh and ah and ah were good for belting. Okay. Because they have a high first vocal tract resonance. Some people were like, look at this. This is the answer to everything. And then most of us who taught belting we're just kinda who also like, understood voice acoustics went, yeah. Well, what other vowel would you use? Well, like, I, that's just, we, we've talked before about kind of pointing out the obvious, like, that's what everybody was already 
doing so right so anyway it's just sometimes it's hard to keep perspective is my point oh yeah no that's a good point of macro perspective and on page 10 i want to read this this is plomp this is him talking about the various approaches that have been applied to cognitive uh, hearing cognition and perception and he says nevertheless speaking of the last the basically the second half of the 20th century Nevertheless, there are still many investigators who are so involved in their own research that they seem not to be interested in the results of studies representing other equally respectable points of view. So Mm -hmm. I basically use this as a warning for all of us who are involved in voice research. Perhaps to not get caught up in ourselves but rather encourage our students and our colleagues to view the gestalt whole of the profession rather than just getting caught up with the fact that I'll call myself out early on in my writings and career because I was trained by Donald Miller at Voce Vista. I was obsessed with the idea of the third harmonic and the second formant interacting in the high male range. Mm. Well, you're also a tenor. But my point in in my narrowness of that view was that I was ignoring other things that were possibilities. Yeah. And so I'm calling myself out here. I'm not calling out the profession, although Plomp is calling out his profession. I'm just saying that I think we could all use to, while we are in the midst of a project always be willing to take a step back even if just over coffee and say what are we doing here (laughs) you know yeah yeah well and still you know just because you're following this one line of research be open to other people exploring different paths because you just never know what they're gonna find and how it could help you or make you rethink just yes And here's one of the other difficult things. And he plomp follows that quote up with another quote. I'll read. And uh, this is sort of my last point. I really wanted to make with this first chapter. Um, Matt Hawk had a similar argument in a piece that he wrote after our Vernard summit. So I'll give him some credit where credit is due for this in the voice profession. Basically it's about keeping up with developments, ongoing developments Mm -hmm. that it has become increasingly difficult because you know what? As we've talked about in the podcast before, we can't afford to go to every conference. Nope. Or just even join we, every association, subscribe to every journal. Every associ- right. And not everything gets published. That too. So there's interesting work that is sometimes done that honestly sometimes... Now, here's the thing. The internet has made accessibility to a lot of information happen a lot faster. True. When I did my review of literature for your class last year, I was able to access a lot of articles on the internet that were going to be published in the next like two years, but had not been published yet. Right. So here's what Plomp said 17 years ago about his own profession. He said, whereas half a century ago, 1950, it was not difficult to follow new developments over the entire field of sound perception. This has become practically impossible 
in more recent years. No, that's so true. And and the same is true for voice research. Well, and it might be worse now because, like I said, like, you know, we've talked about that stuff, if we submit an article to be published in a journal, it can take, you know, one to two years to get published. And by then, the field has already changed so much. And so if you are just relying on journals and literature to keep updated, like you're already behind. And yes. the only way you can even hope to keep up is really to be very connected to all of the people doing the research. Let alone if you're relying on books. Yeah, you're, you're, I mean, it's, Face it's better than nothing to honestly, like, yes, of course, but, of course. And look, that's not to say that there aren't fine books. Out there. Yeah. But if that's the, what you're thinking is keeping you like super up to date and on the cutting edge, like it just isn't. No folks so, get connected. Yay. Social get media. Connect. I guess. I mean, I mean, look, it's, it's in, it's in, there's no question that there are parts of social media that are evil. I don't say that to judge social media, but there are. It's, it's a necessity. There are also, there are also blessings that have come from social media. Yeah. You know, so anyway, well, this has been a lot less painless than I thought it was going to be. Well, this was the introduction, so... (laughs) So I didn't have to prepare any sound samples for today is what you're saying? I wouldn't get too excited. Yeah, next chapter I'll have to prepare some sound samples. Um, And we'll get out Mada. Can't handle you. (laughs) Can't deal. Um, Have we had any big pop culture news this week? (laughs) This isn't big to you. It's big to me. Please. They released the trailer for the new Little Woman Little Women movie that's going to have like Meryl Streep and um, I think it's Shersha Ronan and Emma Watson in it and I don't remember. So Emma Watson playing Joe? Meg actually. I thought she would play Joe but really Saoirse plays Joe and she's a much better fit since Joe's such a strong tomboy Mm -hmm. figure very stubborn like Emma Watson you know it Emma Watson fits Meg well, in my opinion, and I am super pumped for that, and I know that's not exciting for everyone. It's not really a nerdy thing, but that's a book. I used oh, to read that. Oh, I think that. it is. Sure it is. I used to read that every year growing up, and still, like, every few years we'll reread it because I loved it. I even read the sequels, which were nowhere near as good, but whatever. So I was very excited for that because this looks like there have been a lot of movie versions of Little Women, and then they're all just kind of meh, but I'm excited for this one. So, yeah. Excellent. Um, I have a feeling there's some exciting stuff coming up. Agreed. Uh, in the coming weeks. We're kind of in that lull so. after all the blockbusters of summer haven't really started, like, getting pumped up for all of the kind of Christmassy box office things. You know, it's just, it's kind of that little lull right at the beginning of school. Did you ever see Lion King? We never talked about that. No, but I there was an interesting rumor yesterday floating around the internet that apparently, because you know, Disney had quattro films that cleared a billion dollars this year already. Spectacular. Captain Marvel. Yeah. Endgame. Yeah. Aladdin. That was a great movie. I loved it. And Lion King. 
I we have not seen Lion I King because we ran out. We've seen so many movies this summer. I understand. Like we did, we did see Aladdin. I didn't care for see, it. I thought it was cute. Um, I loved Will Smith actually. Um. Well, I think I didn't care for the first like forty-five minutes, and then it got better. Mm, I could see that. But also, also my thing with Aladdin, and I don't know if I've ever said this in the podcast. Just full confession, vocal fam. I dislike non-animated movie musicals. Really? I love musicals. Okay. On stage. Okay. I think we know this. Yes, obviously. I love animated musicals. Okay. But you I really dislike musicals with people on film. So like Mamma Mia the movie, not a fan. Hated it. Fan of the Opera the movie, not a fan. Never saw it. Well, that's your loss. I love that. Chicago. Hated it. I was not a big fan of Chicago when I finally sat down and watched it. It just made me angry because there's not one character in that show that is actually a decent human being. They're all trash. I just, I just, um, it's just not, it's just not a format I enjoy. That's interesting. I, I wonder if it's because I didn't really grow up going to musicals in theaters. I learned a love for musicals through movies and so i don't mind it as much just because my first experience to a musical was on broadway with will rogers follies well see there you go you were spoiled some of us didn't have that i mean i saw like like my parents took me to see like the lion king when the traveling show came through when i was a kid but like that was a very rare occurrence so this so movies were kind of how i really got to experience so many musicals and still is how I've experienced so many. Cause I mean, who can go to New York all the time? I wish, right? Yeah, Maybe someday. Well, some of us have seen Hamilton though. And others I have when it comes to it's, it's scheduled to come to Atlanta sometime later this year. And I'm going to be entering the lottery every day, every day. Uh, so anyway, there's, what I was going to say, the rumor, though, yesterday yes. was that since Disney had their $4 billion films this yeah. year, apparently they're going to make a real-life sequel to Aladdin. What? I, this is what I hear. This is the, this was the rumor that hit the... Wasn't there a movie Aladdin 2? Are they going to, like, use that? I hope not. I hope not, because I don't think it was very good. It was probably terrible. Some of the Disney little movie sequels are actually pretty cute. I'm not saying they're great, but cute. Like The Lion King 3 and 7 fifths or something like that? It was Lion King 1 and a half, and it was hysterical. Okay. Lion King 2 actually isn't that bad either. Mulan 2, also not terrible. I am looking forward to Mulan, the real-life Mulan. I actually think I am excited about it. I definitely have had to separate it in my mind from the original, like the movie that I watched as a child. I, I think if I went in expecting that, I was going to be horribly disappointed. I, I yeah. would be horribly disappointed, but I am excited for what this will be. Hey, speaking of pop culture things, yes. Empress Vocal Fry has finished her list of Picard-based Star Trek The Next Generation episodes. Well, I haven't started but yeah and not only that guess what she liked it yes i need to jamie and i we've kind of been in this hole of just like honestly video games 
for the past month or so. Well, kind of a nice little escape, but. Now that life's um, about to pick back up, we'll probably start watching more Netflix and stuff. Again, when you start, there are some episodes on that Just list skip. I sent that I will tell you to skip. Okay, okay. Right away after the pilot. And know that Encounter at Farpoint is terrible. Okay, great. Something to look it, forward to. It just is and we only watched and i only think it's necessary to watch two of the movies we skipped two movies and watched there are four movies on that list at the end yes oh gosh (laughs) okay maybe well maybe by the end i'll be excited for them because right now that just sounds daunting and there is one single episode that is not on the list that i added Oh, okay. 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 Uh, um, Wonder how Jamie will so feel about that. It's yesterday's enterprise. It's 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 necessary. Okay, I'll have to ask him about that. Or tell him and um, see see how he reacts. So anyway, definitely my wife enjoyed it a lot more. Okay, so vocal fam, I think next week we're still gonna be back with Plomp. Yeah. Eventually we still gotta do Spider Man. But we oh, have never talked about Spider Man. I'm so sorry. I forgot. I didn't. Uh, well, I've been getting plugged back into work. Mm. Yeah. Hard pass. Yeah. Hard pass. Anyway, <laughs> but but I think there's some interesting things coming uh, down the ropes. Yeah. Uh, again, thank you to everyone who's ordered merch. Yes. Thank you. Uh, big thanks to the vocal fam who have ordered merch. Uh, anyway, that's it for this week, guys. Yeah. Um, Sarah, let's not hang up, but let's go ahead and sign off. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey, breakfast. Oh, for breakfast. Okay, you're going to make fun of me because even I'm going to make fun of me. And it only happened because I forgot to buy other breakfast food, but um, Nature Valley has started making, they're not even granola bars. They're these, like, wafer things. It's essentially, like, like, it's like a candy bar, but with peanut butter. But it's not, though. It's not a candy bar. I want to stress that. I don't remember the name. So Sarah's eating like candy wafer bars for thins. breakfast. No, no, no. It's wafers with peanut butter and nuts in between the wafers. That's a candy no, bar. No, it's not. Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to find the Michael box. Michael would tell you that that is no, a candy no. bar. No, no. Hold on. Just like a biscuit is a cookie. It says, crispy, creamy wafer bars. Wafer is literally in a Kit Kat. No. Lots of peanut butter. Trust me, it does not taste like candy. This would be very bad candy. Is that your box of cookies? Jamie, I'm going to punch you. I'm going to... Go away. Stop ruining the... Okay, anyway, so Sarah's having cookies for They're breakfast. They're not cookies. They're All right. wafer bars. <laughs> All right, are you ready to stop our recording? Yeah. Oh, wait, I should, yeah, 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 yeah. You ready? Sure. Okay, here we go. And stop. Um, I hit stop, but it didn't stop.